Hey, can I tell you a secret? The secret to getting a great shave without any nicks, cuts, or irritation isn't three or four blades, a soap strip, or a swivel head. It's just supporting the blade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just supporting the blade. Don't let it flex or bend. That's the secret to limiting shaving irritation. At Henson Shaving, we use our 20 years of aerospace manufacturing to keep the blade from moving. It's not the coolest answer, but it's the right one. To learn more and to get 100 blades for free, go to hensonshaving.com holiday. Vernon, 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 the heating and cooling specialist. The name says it all. When you focus solely on indoor comfort for 43 years, well, you get really good at it. Get your heating or cooling system tuned by a Vernon specialist today for only $69. Vernon's 60 to 90 minutes of meticulous system inspection guarantees energy savings or the tune-up is free. Now that's a value. Go to vernonheating.com. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Custard TV podcast. It is me, Matt, joining you once again. We are doing an early record this morning. It is uh, 25 to 11 on Saturday morning, as you hear us. Normally, we're Sunday afternoon uh, voices. So um, let's see if this one is any different. Uh, firstly, uh, I will go to Scotland. Dawn Glenn, how are we coping with Storm Babette up there? Yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I come to you live from the centre of Storm Babette. Thankfully, we live up a hill and there are no trees <laughs> in our streets. Selfishly, I'm fine. Nobody else is. Uh, half of Dundee is, is very badly flooded. There's a lot of roads closed and the, the park that's sort of two streets away from us has had several trees come down and land in cars and but my husband got a day and a half off work so you know <laughs> that's all that's happened he's happy about that <laughs> little wins eh? little wins yes yeah. i mean first world problems but my cardio driver couldn't get here last night because of flooding oh. i was in london yesterday and we've got sophie who also lives in london it was 17 degrees and it was really nice yeah, from where I am, there's nothing going on, really. We had we had quite a bit of rain on Wednesday and Thursday, I think. But yeah, yesterday and today, there hasn't really been much going on. It's just kind of mild, really. Uh, how are you, Sophie? Everyone here seems to have a cold or the flu or probably COVID or something at the moment. <laughs> I've had a, a cold the last week and it's just kind of subsiding now. So my throat's a little bit sore, but uh, hopefully on its way out. So we've done weather, we've done illness, let's uh, <laughs> let's do the week. As ever, we will be reviewing four shows uh, this week uh, from ITV, Three Little Birds, which is uh, Lenny Henry's uh, created drama based on his mother's early arrival into England in the 1950s, Bodies, which is a new crime slash sort of sci-fi drama on uh, Netflix, uh, new folk horror the burning girls on paramount plus and we have got the return of uh what we do in the shadows uh for season five and that's all coming to disney plus the best and the worst on the box this could be a podcast a podcast don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those anyone with a computer can make one talking telly yes that would entertain me briefly this is the custard tv podcast Uh, But first, what we have been watching, what we're still watching feature. Sophie, I want to come to you first. Have you watched the Frasier reboot? I have. This is the first thing on my list because I knew you were going to ask me. (laughs) Yeah, I listened to your podcast this week. Um, I think I enjoyed it more than you two did. I don't love every aspect of it. Like, I think the Niles and Daphne's son character feels a bit unnecessary, like feels a bit like they're just trying to replace Niles and he just sort of walks in and delivers like a Niles line every now and then but apart from him I did actually quite enjoy it I laughed out loud quite a few times Nicholas Lindhurst is pretty funny like I think he has most of the best lines yeah I enjoyed it I don't think like it's amazing yet but I'm willing to carry on watching it and give it a go I quite like that it had the sort of heart as well you know 
that you know there was lots of talk about martin i I quite like that part of it so yeah hopefully it carries on in that sort of vein hopefully so yeah you're sort of on the more positive side not on sort of luke's negative side (laughs) oh no i haven't read his review yet i have to have a look at that but i've seen in general the reviews do seem quite negative but i i listened to um a fraser podcast and the host of that is enjoying it too so i don't know if there's a bit of divide like critics and like i don't know i'm not sure uh anything else sophie you watch watching, uh, watching ghosts uh yeah. but i've been sort of rationing it out because i don't want to binge it all in one go i've just watched the first two so Unlike far Dawn Glenn. yeah i've been watching um the great as well which we obviously reviewed mm. a few weeks ago um I've been sort of rationing that one out as well, and I'm just up to I think episode eight. The massive thing has happened. Uh, I've not both... ca- I've not caught up with it yet. So have you not so yet? They're now you... they're now cancelled. The great, unfortunately. Yeah. I know it's a shame. I'm yeah. I'm interested to see how series three ends. Whether it does sort of wrap things up, or if it's more like a cliffhanger, because that'll be annoying. But yeah, something huge happens in like episode seven. So mm. I'm just after that point. Have you finished Only Murders in the Building? What did you oh yes I have yeah. yeah yeah I enjoyed it I I loved all of the theatrical stuff in it I've seen a few people online saying it was their least favorite because it felt a bit less focused on solving the mystery like sometimes there would be a whole episode where at the end you would be like we haven't learned anything <laughs> um and but that didn't really bother me as much as it did some other people because I loved all of the like musical mm. theater stuff I want to see a whole version of that musical <laughs> just uh, the, those little snippets we got in the finale were not enough for me i need a, a whole version of um which of the pickwick triplets did yeah. it in all the glitzy costume and everything <laughs> i have barely watched television this week um mm. the only two things i have seen that are not uh, prescribed i did see the reckoning I'm not right. entirely sure how I felt about that. Same as what you all said, I don't really know what 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 the purpose of it was or if it needed to be made, and I don't know how it'll go down. Like I I don't know if like the you know all the Baftas and whatever are going to pay any attention. I don't mm. know because it's so difficult. Do you and think the, Coogan is deserving of a Bafta? Is that something that? <sighs> I mean, I I did at times forget it was Steve Coogan, but I was aware there was moments where it did feel a bit Alan Partridge in the way you said things. Obviously, it's the same. You know, Alan Partridge is honed after those kind of DJs, so it's it's a difficult, it's a, a parody of a parody kind of thing going full circle. I don't know. I found it a really odd way that it focused on the abuse. I suppose after watching the the Long Shadow, it just felt much more like it was focusing on the acts of abuse rather than the effects of it of what happened to the people. I know that at the start, the, the it gives the disclaimer to say, you know, that we're doing this. So how did he get away with it? But I didn't feel it was that explored. It was just he gets away with it because he gets away with it. People just brush it under the carpet because he's ever so slightly aggressive when he's confronted by it and just mm. think well he got away with it because people let him that that's yeah. why i haven't so watched I the last episode yet but the third episode felt featured that sort of really sort of broad interpretation of margaret thatcher as well which i thought yes. was just completely yeah, yeah. It, it did come across a bit spitting imagery mm. and it and it didn't and it sort of excused her a bit as well she didn't really you know, they made it seem as if she didn't know much. She just one of her aides says, "Oh well, there's rumours about him," and she's like, "Well, yeah, but what?" Mm. And and that was it. And you think, well, surely she was a lot more involved than that. I allegedly <laughs> don't sue me. And the only other thing I've, I've I've managed to have time this week to see was uh, Slime Cherries Across the World, which I'm still yeah. loving, and I'm so glad Emma got to go to a, a spa. <laughs> so I'm, I was like, hurry! After scrubbing the decks and doing, and you know, being made made to run everywhere by her son, thank goodness she got to go to a spa day. <laughs> I feel like I should report him for elder abuse. Sometimes it does feel like. <laughs> Harry Judd is slowly sort of finishing his mum off. <laughs> yes. It just seems like he's completely unaware how hard it is for her to run after him. And I did like how um, there was a focus on Noel this week as well, wasn't there, and him yes. talking. And it actually fits yes. in very well with Three Little Birds as well, it doesn't does. it? I, I thought of... that, yes. 
him being left behind in Guyana and raised yeah. by his grandparents and he was the last of his siblings to come to England. I thought that was yeah uh, really good. And it's just as heartwarming as the as the main show is, if 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 not more so. Um, I, I really enjoyed this series, and I'll be sad when it ends. Yeah, I, I I think me and you have switched places this week, because <laughs> I've watched a lot more uh, than <laughs> you have. So. One we spoke about last week, uh, The Fall of the House at Usher, um, have mm-hmm. almost completely finished that. I'm watching it along with a friend of mine, um, and they pointed out that, and I, I mentioned this to you as well on Twitter, mm-hmm. that each of the episodes is actually based on a different Edgar Allan Poe short story. Yeah. And the things that happen in there and the deaths of the various siblings, the telltale heart, I'm sure you can sort of work out from yes. the fact one of the characters is a heart surgeon and is creating this yeah. new heart valve type thing. What, how that sort of is going to end up. And like the characters' names are based on characters' names. And the US attorney is apparently Poe created like the first literary detective in DuPont. And then yeah. the, it's Carla Gugino is the actress. Yeah. Bernard, which is a yeah. anagram of Raven. Which I didn't ah, get. Ah, yes. Who keeps turning up in different guises with the uh, the different siblings, and so I've only got one more episode of that to watch. I'm hoping to watch that today uh, to see how that ends. And the other one again, which I did spoil a little bit for Dawn, was the it was Boiling Point, which I have finished because I thought she'd watched episode three and she hadn't. <laughs> I haven't. I'm just behind on 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 that, but I really that's that'll be my viewing tonight. I'd hope to to watch it early in the week, but it's been a busy week. Apart from one subplot in episode three, I thought it was the perfect series. You know, I think when we discussed it, it helps if you've seen the film, but it's not necessary, you know, essential viewing. And actually all of the things we learn about, like, you know, we learn about Emily in episode two and I can't remember the characters and the male pot washer in episode three, we go behind the scenes with him and then there's another character in episode four who we learn has got a long-term illness and how they deal with that. And that is a really good episode and how that sort of affects their working and also their everyday life. You know, I really hope that they do more. They only had the one scene between Stephen Graham and Vinette Robinson. They sort of put that off till the end. So you're wondering, is this it? Because there, there was a thing where we could end it here. But I, I so hope they do some more because all these characters, you've only sort of touched the surface with a few and some mm. we don't know anything about yet. So it would be great because they can focus, you know, they've got a cast of what, like 15 or 20 different characters <laughs> in that restaurant. Um, I would really recommend it, Sophie, if you were thinking about it, because I think I think it is one of those dramas that you would enjoy. I think it's different enough from The Bear as well. Yeah, I think this is more about the characters, just everyday lives. And, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought, that, you know, Vinette Robinson, brilliant. Hannah, Hannah Walters, Walters yeah. Stephen Graham's wife, who plays Emily in that. You mentioned that second episode and actually in the third episode as well as sort of the aftermath. Her performance, I, I am sort of rooting for her to get a supporting actress BAFTA nomination. Yeah. It's a fantastic cast. It helps that it's a lot of people you don't really know outside uh, the two main stars and Kathy Tyson, who plays Vanette Robinson's mum. But just brilliant series. And yeah, Celebrity Race Across the World Like Dawn is the other one. Obviously, the stuff we're going to talk about today. Uh, but first, we will do the plugs. Sophie, are we, are we started any of the podcasts again yet? Are we still on hiatus with your various endeavours? It's an Aspod thing. We'll be coming back soon because I have some recordings planned for the next Ooh. few weeks. Um, about a year after the last ones, um, I'm getting back to it for the final series. Um, so yeah, people can find that wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have been meaning to catch up, then now's the time before the new episodes. Um, and then there's also Smash Prawns in a Milky Basket about the work of Julia Davis. Um, people can listen to the back catalogue of that. Um, and are you dubbing it it's an s-pod thing reunion special or something like that to cash <laughs> in on the uh, the concerts yeah they're on tour at the moment aren't they i've been seeing like a few videos online it feels a bit weird with uh not just six of them but five of them mm. um 
Hannah Spirit's autobiography arrived the other day. I haven't started reading it yet, but it's um, you know, it's come out this week, literally. So I'm planning on reading that and seeing what she's got to say yeah. about it all. And Dawn, uh, your your podcast adventures. Uh, we have just c- completed the uh, Dial Dixon season one on the Dial Dixon podcast. It's going to be changing name because the show is changing name very confusingly. You can find it by searching for Cyborg Queen Media. And we will be talking about the other Walking Dead spin-offs and find it under my um, Twitter because I'm still there by the fingernails, which is Don Glenn too. The, the Daryl Dixon podcast is on YouTube and is on uh, all platforms for podcasts. And um, the Custer TV podcast, which you are currently listening to now, we are uh, on all the podcast apps of choice. You can find us on Twitter still, as Dawn said, at Custard TV Pod, at uh, Matt's TV Bites is my own Twitter, and at Luke Custard TV, you can find out all about the site. On the site at the moment, Luke has written a piece about the shows that fell victim to the uh, the writer's strike, including the aforementioned uh, The Great. Also, The After Party, which is a you know an odd one, because I don't think they would have gone on anymore. No. I, I think they'd, they'd run out of genres. Mm. Um, and Hey, can I tell you a secret? The secret to getting a great shave without any nicks, cuts, or irritation isn't three or four blades, a soap strip, or a swivel head. It's just supporting the blade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just supporting the blade. Don't let it flex or bend. That's the secret to limiting shaving irritation. At Henson Shaving, we use our 20 years of aerospace manufacturing to keep the blade from moving. It's not the coolest answer, but it's the right one. To learn more and to get 100 blades for free, go to hensonshaving.com holiday. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. Murders. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a bit <laughs> contrived if yeah. so we stumbled yeah. across another murder. <laughs> it sort of had a, a like a perfect ending, didn't it, in a way? And um, again, the aforementioned uh, review of the Frasier um, reboot. And we have also got a uh, review of, again, the aforementioned uh, The Reckoning uh, by our newest writer, uh, Laura. So that is all up there. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. It's The Custard TV on Instagram and Custard TV Reviews at gmail.com. Let's get on to the reviews. And first up, uh, we have uh, Lenny Henry's uh, created drama. This is Three Little Birds. It's on ITV1. And Sophie will just run us through uh, the basics of this one. This is focused on three women coming over to England from Jamaica in 1957. Sisters Leia and Chantrell and a sort of acquaintance slash friend of theirs called Hosanna. Um, They're played by Rochelle Neal, Saffron Kuma and Yasmin Bello. They're all moving to England for different reasons, really. Um, Chantrell is quite sort of glamorous and wants to be a movie star. And she kind of thinks there's a lot more going on in England compared to Jamaica. Um, Hosanna is going to meet Leia and Chantrell's brother, Aston, who is already living in England um, in Dudley. uh, And he's sort of looking for a wife. Um, He's played by Javone Prince. And they basically sort of catfished her in the 1950s. They've shown her a photo of this man and said, you know, this is our brother. Come and meet him. If you, you know, if you don't like him, we'll pay for your fair home. And, you know, it's a completely different man. And we also come to learn throughout the episode that uh, Leia is sort of running away from an abusive husband um, and has had to leave her children behind. Not with him. She said that she's left them, you know, in a safe place. When they arrive in England uh, by ship, they're met by Aston and he says they're going to stay overnight in London before driving to Dudley. Um, They're all very sort of excited at first, like, oh, London, amazing. Um, But, you know, it soon becomes clear it's not really what they expected. Um, You know, they see like racist graffiti, racist signs on guest houses that won't, you know, take them in. 
um they end up staying overnight in this place that's very crowded there's a party going on and hosanna ends up getting arrested and she's this quite sort of christian woman so it's obviously a big shock for her it's not something that would have happened to her in jamaica but you know the police arrest her for being like a troublemaker they try and you know take her home but they say come back in the morning um so in the morning they collect her um, and they begin the journey to Dudley. They drop off Chantrell on the way um, in Borenwood because she's got a job there as a nanny for a family. The man of the family is quite sort of polite to her, but the woman is quite sort of rude and standoffish and tells her to, you know, come into the house via a back entrance and that sort of thing. Um, so they drop her off there and Hosanna, Aston and Leia then carry on in the car off to Dudley and that's the end of the first episode. The promised land of Dudley. Yeah, um. <laughs> very Lenny Henry. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. It does feel very Sunday night drama, a bit like a reverse of um, £10 poems. Like we're we're sending the, them to uh, people to Australia and and, um, and we're bringing in people from um, Jamaica. Very similar feel of the stranger in a strange land and the different culture and the the prejudice the three women at the center of it really loved them i don't think i've seen them in anything before but i don't know rochelle neal who plays um leah is so beautiful and there are a lot of really amazing um shots that just focus on her face and she gives away so much with so little i really can see why they've put her central to it Lenny Henry himself um, appears a little bit as um, Hosanna's dad, a pastor. The picture they showed of Aston was actually a picture of Harry Belafonte. I know um. I noticed that. That was very funny. <laughs> so the, you know, it was a it was a total catfish. I think obviously there are a lot of of these kind of dramas set in a similar era. You know, to, um, Call the Midwife, very similar, and the same kind of feel. You know, that's that's set in in the poorer area of London and and in this first episode obviously we see London and the the culture that these immigrants had had brought with them and were collectively enjoying still their culture because so you know they were treated so much as outsiders that they all congregated together but then that just made the police racists see these areas as um trouble and you know the the ghetto type areas I've never seen that so well fleshed out in a drama because it's normally you know you see one family or one character who is in that situation in in, um called the midwife there's there's one uh Caribbean um nurse and so you see one person but to see the whole culture the 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 group together in this little you know the, they're staying in this sort of boarding house and there's the big party and I, I think it's really gives it much more a feel of the time of what it is to be in that and to, to have that connection to your homeland in this strange land but everything else is just so different and and you're treated so badly seeing Arthur Darville as a baddie you know he's 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 uh, a, a posh uh, racist guy stole that passport didn't he <laughs> yes he stole her passport something up to no good there and how you know how poorly they're treated as staff uh you know, go through the go to the staff entrance she's not allowed to come through the front door the the women i think are are really great central characters and and the actresses are are, are captivating and engaging and warm it is a warm series, despite the fact that a lot of what it's dealing with is, is hideous racism and violence. There is just a lovely warmth to it. As, as I say, like ten, ten Pound Bombs or one of those Sunday evening dramas, where you just really do want to get to know the characters. And particularly Leah, I want to see more of her backstory and, and how she came to the decision to, to come to England. I didn't feel Lenny Henry written all over it, although he's in it. It did, you know. I, I, I didn't get the obvious thing. This is written by a man. Sometimes when you have a, a series like this, which has three female characters at the, the center of it, preferably, I would it would be created and written by by a woman. But it, I, I don't think it suffered by being written by a man. It felt in tune with women. 
this is based on stories his mum's told yeah. him, presumably. So, and sort of adapting those, perhaps. Um, Russell T. Davis apparently also involved oh, in right. the creation of this. Um, yeah, I think he's the executive producer. And I think I read an interview with Lenny Henry where he said, you know, they didn't like co-write it together or anything, but they yeah. had a lot of chats. And Russell T. Davis was the one who gave him a lot of advice when he sort of said, "I want to write a drama." Because it's his first one. Yeah. I, I would echo your sentiments, really, Dawn, in terms of the performances. Especially, I, I thought Saffron Kuma as Chantrell uh, was amazing. As soon as she came on screen, her energy just sort of captivates you towards the character. Even though there was two sort of similar double entendres uh, that she made in quite close succession <laughs> about the men that she met um, and and possibly was going to have relations with or had relations with. And uh, Javon Prince, who, you know, I mainly know from comic stuff, but I thought he was brilliant here as, mm-hmm. as Aston, uh, the brother slash prospective husband to Hosanna. You know, he has that comic edge to him, but you also saw you know, a sincerity to him when he was trying to woo Hosanna. You could see actually that sort of Yasmin Bellows performance and her sort of thawing as as they their, their interactions continued. And I think that's an interesting relationship to uh, concentrate on. I thought that some of the sort of more quote-unquote serious themes were perhaps a bit what's the word simplified for this it's an 8 p.m drama rather than a 9 p.m drama so possibly can't get as away with as much as you know dawn mentioned 10 pound poms you know this is i think their attempt to maybe craft a call the midwife that can run and run and Mm -hmm. um the last thing that they had in this spot was the durrells and you know this is sort of something a, a little bit more serious but as as we, you know it's still got that comic tone but it had like this energy to it that it never lost my attention once they got into England the ball started rolling quite quickly and you you got the impression of where everyone was going to go I still love the fact that they were bigging up Dudley throughout the entire <laughs> thing like you know if Sarah were on I'm sure she would tell you about I mean I used to do I did some university courses up in Dudley so I know what it's like. Um, it's got a nice zoo and a nice castle, and that's about it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what about you, Sophie? Just thinking about this now, the fact that it is a sort of 8pm drama, it might make more people watch it who might not otherwise. If it was on later and it was a sort of gritty drama, like very openly about like racism and stuff, obviously this is about racism, but it's more of a sort of a balance of humour and drama a bit more not cozy but that sort of you know 8 p.m itv drama vibe hopefully it might get some more people you know stumbling across it who might not have tuned in for that sort of thing deliberately if it was on later yeah i, I enjoyed it as well i like yeah the mix of you know the more serious themes and then you know the characters do have a lot of like jokes among each other you know i quite like where they're having the sort of raucous party and hosanna is like preaching outside like trying to get people to not go in the main cast are really great. Um, again, I was yeah surprised by Jerome Prince doing the, this, you know, uh, this more dramatic role. But he does have a lot of the sort of comic relief lines to begin with, but then gets some more dramatic stuff later on. I thought he was really great. Yeah, I like this. I'm. It's not. I'm not that into sort of these sort of historical dramas. You know, it's not something that I would usually choose to watch. And um, so I don't know if I'm going to carry on with it, but I think it was really good, really well done. So that is ITV One on Sunday nights. It looks like ITV are sort of stacking their Sunday nights at the moment because this, the lead-in for this is their new uh, Mamma Mia competition show. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Sophie. That, of course um, I am. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I already know who one of the contestants is because oh, I've seen her in a show. <laughs> so we were talking off mic about last week about Alan Carr being one of the judges and that seems a bit bizarre. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's just that sort of drag race thing where it's like someone to bring in some humour. But now we turn to Netflix. Uh, We have got a new crime drama, multi-layered. Not a lot of big names in this, but uh, Stephen Graham has been like advertised as this sort of star, even though he doesn't appear in the first episode. Dawn has has taken the the valiant uh, task of explaining what happens 
Yes, let's let, let, take a deep breath. Bear with me because we are dealing with several timelines at once. I will do my best. It is a sci-fi murder cop thing. In this first episode, we're dealing with three timelines involving the same victim. In 2023, we start with DS uh, Shahara Hassan. She is a Muslim female uh, detective. On her day off, she's attending a far-right rally, policing that. She sees an Asian teenage boy acting suspiciously. She gives chase and ends up down um, a street called Long Harvest Lane. The teenage boy holds a gun to her and says some things. You know, he doesn't want to do this. And he manages to run off and she discovers a naked man appears to have been shot through the left eye and he has some markings, almost like a tally mark, uh, on his wrist. And she calls it in to her superiors. We go back then to 1941, in the middle of World War II, and DS Carl Whiteman. He is a Jewish detective facing anti-Semitism in the, the, the face of, of World War II. Um, he's quite a spivvy type guy, very slick, and he's called into his superiors. There is suspicion that he is taking money on the side, um, and the superior, Inspector Farrell, believes he's up to no good, but he's also a hideous anti-Semite. Carol Whiteman brushes off this accusation and goes back to his desk where he gets a phone call. A woman is telling him, go and pick up this body, take it to the dock and await further instruction, basically. Then we go back again to 1890, uh, and this is D.I. Edmund Hillinghead, who is in the middle of arresting a little boy for stealing and he too is distracted, takes off down Long Harvest Lane where the same naked body is found. He meets journalist Henry Ash, who has been taking photographs of this body, and that's the only evidence we have. And we see these three timelines, the difference in their methods in gathering of evidence. The only thing 1890 has is this, are these photographs. Obviously, in 2023, we see all the forensics and the ballistics. In 1941, Whiteman's collection of the body does not go to plan. He picks it up in this car, puts the body in the boot, but he's followed by Inspector Farrell, who is suspicious of him, pulls him over in the middle of an air raid, and Farrell is about to open the boot and find the body when a bomb drops and kills uh, Farrell conveniently. Whiteman escapes and comes back as the detective in charge of solving now a, a, a murder of a police officer and um, a body in a trunk. In 2023, uh, Shahara follows up the lead of this teenage boy that she'd followed, and he's identified as Saeed Tahir, who has been brought up in care, but he has a sister, and he'd phoned her shortly before Shahara so she makes contact with his sister and gives her her, her phone number. And Saeed then does phone um, Shahara and wants to meet her in a mall. When she goes there, um, the police are falling close behind. But she meets him alone and he's incredibly disturbed and says everything they have told him has come true. And he had to lead her there and she has to do what's going to happen. And he says know you are loved and that is how the woman who is contacting Whiteman in 1941 ends all their phone calls know you are loved shortly after seeing that Said kills himself and in back in 1890 Henry is it is revealed is um gay and this he had been meeting with um his lover and they were taking photos of other um gay people in the the Whitechapel area we get the suspicion D.I. Hillinghead is, is a closeted homosexual as well. One of his photos has a face in it. And unfortunately, the forensic scientist in, in 1890 recognises him and tells uh, Hillinghead to burn the photo if he wants to live. And just as we think we're... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, forward, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ending the episode, the uh, display on screen that shows us the year starts ticking forward and we go to 2053. And we also see the story of Detective Iris Maplehood, who also finds the same body. She has her own issues in that she would be paralysed were it not for a spinal implant that she uses. And we see that Stephen Graham uh, is the the uh, chief of the executive and that London is some kind of strange post-apocalyptic New Age order. And we realise that all these victims are, is the same man. Uh, they they said that there was actually no bullet inside his body so that was part of a mystery. And it seems to be that all these detectives have to solve his murder in order to prevent this apocalypse happening in 2023 that then causes this new world order. The end. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go and have a lie down now. <laughs> How many did you watch, Dawn? I only watched two. Okay. But I, I, I could have gone on if I'd had time. I really enjoyed this. I don't know what I was expecting going in. I knew about the four timelines, so I was sort of waiting for the 2053. So that wasn't the shock for me. The shock was, you know, what happened at the end. One uh, warning I will give is please do not watch this while eating like I did because <laughs> the, it was the 1890 um, yeah, scenes of the... Autopsy, yeah. Autopsy, yeah. <laughs> Scenes of yeah. surgery. I don't know if that's something that Netflix warns you about at the top of the screen with everything else, like, you know, sex and language and what have you. It should do, really. Again, what I liked about this, and I know I make a point of saying this, is that certainly like the four central detectives, I don't really recognise the actors. There's actors in here in the supporting cast that you will know, like um, Derek Riddell and Alexandra Roach and... Uh, Michael Gibson and Greta Greta Satch, is it? Who's well, the... the the middle guy, the one in the forties, fifties. Yeah, he is in the latest series of The Great. He sort of shows right. up during oh. that. Um, and Kyle Soller is in Andor. I don't know if either of you watched Andor. No. Uh, yeah, he's one of the main characters in Andor, and he's the the Victorian detective. Did either of you watch Unorthodox a few yes. years ago? Yeah, she's the detective in the future one. Right, okay. Yeah, which I didn't realise until I looked Shira at Shira Haas, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I loved that unorthodox, yeah. The most sort of compelling story was the 2022 one here with Mark Okafor, I'm going to pronounce the actress's name, sorry if I got that wrong. But she, I think, as as she said, like a Muslim woman in the police force, you know, they sort of use her to communicate with the sister of the Asian teenager that they believe is behind the murder. I think that's all good. And she just, I found her to be a real engaging uh, presence who really led her narrative. I think the other two time periods that we look at are, you know, more stuff that we've we've seen before, you know, the 1940s, war-torn London, sort of like Ripper Street era, I would say, the 1890s, um, if you watch that programme. Obviously, I haven't seen a lot of this stuff in in 2053. My sort of imagination always goes, is this what it's going to be like in 30 years? And then I think about Back to the Future 2 and what they thought 2015 would be like. (laughs) The way that they flick between the timelines works really well. The use of split screen. Again, I was never bored. I am intrigued to see what, what is happening. It was weird seeing like Stephen Graham's face almost like a dictator type thing in in the future uh but yeah really enjoyed it it was a a surprise i don't know as i say i didn't really know what to expect going in uh but yeah it's it's something that i will try and um continue and to see how how it progresses 
Sophie, I know you're not always on board for like crime dramas that aren't sort of true crime dramas. So how did you get on with this? I really like this. The whole timey-wimey aspect of it is what sort of hooked me, really. Um, I like the sort of high concept nature of that. Um, I saw that the first four episodes are directed by the same person who directed The Lazarus Project. And I absolutely loved The Lazarus Project. And it's another show that is very complicated to explain to people Mm. when they want to know what the premise is. It takes a lot of explaining. I just like the ambition of it, the fact that it's basically like four detective dramas in one. Um, And like the contrast was quite fun, like seeing the autopsy in 2023 compared to uh, Victorian era at the same time, sort of side by side. Um, It's quite hard to judge on episode one because there was a lot to set up and we haven't spent like a huge amount of time with all of the characters. But just based on episode one, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'm really on board. So I'm going to definitely carry on watching it. I watched the first episode twice as well because after I finished it, I thought it's the sort of thing my partner would like. So I watched Mm. it again with him last night and he's quite on board as well. Yeah. So if it's got that sort of extra sort of edge to it, then sci fi sort of edge. And it's based on like a graphic novel, Mm. I think. Um, So if you're into that sort of thing, like Watchmen, like possibly this might appeal. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. Really, this is my, you know, I, I love sci-fi anyway. It sort of appealed to me because it was, you know, murder mystery plus sci-fi plus the social issues, which is something I really love to watch. I sat up and took notice when it started with a female Muslim police officer giving chase, the kind of really aggressive chase you always see male police officers doing in dramas. So to see this female officer with her headscarf on I, I thought oh wow this this is something different you know it really made me set up and take notes and as you say it's based on a graphic novel so the split screen really evokes the graphic novel look and a, there's a lot of sort of stylized moments which look like frames from um, a graphic novel and I really liked that aspect of it um, as I say I watched the second episode and we, there's a lot more in, in the 2053 timeline and the 1890 I think the 1890 other than 2023 um the 1891 has captivated me most I'm not entirely sure why but I just felt a connection is there a ship because there's like a ship between the two men I've got that probably yes the sexual tension between him and, and the photographer I enjoyed that the word that I was left thinking when, when after I'd seen two episodes was I was a gog. Uh, <laughs> I, I was just sort of like, what, 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 what's happening? And uh, like Sophie, I'm pretty sure my, my husband will like this and so I'm going to recommend we watch this. I just think it's so fresh and original feeling, even though it deals with these things that we have seen, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the blitz in the 1890 era, but it's just so refreshing and it's such a complete mystery there's not a I don't have a hope of understanding what's going on but that's okay you know I'll enjoy watching it unfold um and Stephen Graham is in such an odd role that alone you're like I want to see how this unfolds this is very un-Stephen Graham and it looked good I thought oh what's the 2053 stuff going to look like is it going to be a bit as you say like back to the future but it wasn't it was it was just sort of now but taken a Mm. bit further our technology taken a bit further and and we get to see the detective's brother and her family and we see you know sort of the underbelly of when there's this utopia type type place there's always an underbelly and I really yeah I can't I can't say enough about it I really really loved it (laughs) praise around them for bodies which is all there now on Netflix as we did uh, last week we now turn to some more spooky stuff as it is October. Just bear with me a moment while my notes are loading, but we will be talking about <laughs> The Burning Girls. This is all available on Paramount+. Plus. It is based on the novel by uh, C.J. Tudor. Uh, talking about different timelines, well, we start in 1556 here um, in the Sussex village of Chapelcroft. During the reign of Mary I, we have two young I would say infant girls, uh, they're Protestants and they're burned at the stake. In modern times, we see that the village now has a festival uh, for the burning girls where little like symbols are made from sticks, almost like little dolls. 
which are then uh, burnt on a bonfire to sort of celebrate the sacrifices that were made. It's during this festival as well that uh, the parish priest, uh, Reverend Fletcher, is seen sort of constructing a noose in the church and then hangs himself. We make the assumption uh, that this is suicide. We then go three months later, um, we've got Samantha Morton as uh, Reverend Jack Brooks, uh, who comes to Chapel Croft with her teenage daughter, Florence. Uh, they've come from Nottingham. We get the impression that something slightly sinister has happened. Florence is a uh, amateur photographer and she's taken photos of presumably their old house, their front door, which says murderer on it. She is perturbed when she hears noises. Is there someone after them? So that's one of the mysteries. We get her um, clashing as well as she arrives with uh, the local landowner, Simon Harper, who's played by Rupert Graves. Um, we've also got the very creepy church warden, Aaron Marsh, and the, I don't know if you would call him the head vicar, but he's played by uh, Paul Bradley, who uh, people will either remember as Nigel in EastEnders or <laughs> Elliot in Holby City. So after the first mass, Jack is um, asked to return a coat that is left at the church by uh, Mrs Hartman. Um, she is um, an elderly parishioner who's lived in Chapel Cross uh, for years and years. Uh, they start discussing what's happened to the, uh, the prior reverend, Mrs Hartman tells Jack that he became obsessed with another pair of girls who disappeared 30 years prior. 15-year-olds Mary and Joy, they're sort of seen as rebellious teenagers. Uh, one of them burns a Bible um, and then shortly after, we don't know what's happened to them. There is also a warning from Mrs Hartman to Jack about um, seeing visions of the original burning girls and uh, doom will soon follow if she uh, if she sees them. And inevitably, the first episode ends with her seeing visions of the Burning Girls. Dawn, we chatted about this last week. You look, you said you were looking forward to it. Uh, what were your impressions of this? Oh, I really wanted to love this because <laughs> I love Samantha Martin. But I just found it a bit boring, I'm afraid. <laughs> Coming after bodies, which was so gripping. I didn't think it was spooky enough to be spooky and I didn't think it was thrilling enough to be a thriller. They gave away too much, but not enough at this in the same time. You know, she sees the the, the burning girls so quickly and we're told, you know, as, as you say, early on that the, the parishioner tells her, oh, if you see them, some bad things will happen. I, I just didn't get that that feeling that I want to get in that of the creeping dread and the slow re revealing of, of her starting to see things and um, that building up until she actually sees something. And the mystery then of the, these two teenage girls is, is told in an, an odd way that, I hate to say it, reminded me of Wolf. Um, which was, you know, the, the flashbacks to these two teenage girls and their possibly sapphic undertones to their relationship and they're seen as sinful and wrong. Did you just watch one, Dawn, sorry? Uh, no, I watched two. Okay. The the way that it's, we, we get scenes from their story, but it seems very out of context, it's not linear, it took me out from the main story with, with uh, Samantha Morton's character, with Jack Briggs. I thought the best thing was, was her daughter, Flo. You know, she is, the, as you say, a photographer and she uh, befriends a, a local teenage boy, but she um, there's something weird going on with Rupert Graves' character's daughter, who's a teenage girl. And I was more interested in that. And I really wanted, because, you know, I love the Vicar of Dibley, so <laughs> I wanted to love this. <laughs> Of course. I, I don't know. It it just seemed very clunky, I think, in that, you know, she gets delivered a, an exorcism kit and it's all very pointed. And the, as you see, Aaron, the, the very like a, a horror film character with these slapped down black hair and gaunt face. It felt to me, I was thinking in the, the, the first episode that when I was watching it, what did it remind me of? And I thought it reminded me of these kind of cheap British horror films. There's there's one that I actually quite like. Um, <laughs> Harry Toynton, uh, I think it's called The Children or something. 
like like all the children turn into some kind of zombie type creature. Straight to DVD is what you yeah yeah back in the day. And it made me think of that, but without the gripping nature. Um, so I'm really sad because I really (laughs) wanted to love it and I didn't. Yeah, I agree with Dawn. I, I feel like there's a lot of mysteries going on to get sort of gripped into. Like, you know, there's the girls disappearing, there's the vicar hanging himself, there's the stuff with, you know, the current vicar, like, why has she moved there? What happened in her past? But the whole vibe of it is just kind of like not that atmospheric. I think I found the scenes where, like, for example, she's walking around the church in the night more kind of creepy than like for example the burning girls like that I think that was one thing that kind of made me think it looked cheap like the effect of these two burning girls like which is right at the beginning and then right at the end it does look like you said like a sort of low budget like British horror film um Samantha Morton and the actress playing her daughter are sort of the best things in it and then the people around them it feels like they don't have that much to work with it feels a bit sort of cliched like a bit wicker man moving to this village and there's all these sort of creepy people like weird locals not that much to sort of hook into really and like I get scared very easily I don't really watch horror (laughs) stuff ever like I can count the number of horror films I've seen on one hand so I thought when I, you know, read the synopsis, I was like, oh, great, I'm not going to cope with this. But I didn't really feel scared just because it doesn't have a scary enough vibe. It's got sort of almost like inside number nine vibes in a way, hasn't it? You know, mm-hmm. you get these parade of slightly generic characters. I know it's it's based on a book as well, but it felt like, you know, you had a tick list of yeah. all of these sort of stock characters that you would have in this. So you've got... Rupert Graves as the, you know, haughty landlord who won't take it. You know, the first time we see him, his daughter's covered in pig's blood and Samantha Morton feels that there's some sort of abuse going on there. There is a general sort of almost like Stepford Wivesy vibe, isn't there? I mean, the, the theme is the way that the village treats young girls, especially young, quote unquote, rebellious girls, you know, which is a thing for Flo when she arrives you know she's got this sort of almost like tomboyish nature to her you know the Rupert Graves character has got like a Stepford Wivesy type wife and the daughter who is sort of very monosyllabic you know you've got the creepy church warden you've got the foreboding voice of Jane LaPotere as uh, as the old, the elderly woman who has seen everything. I mean, that that was your straight-to-DVD stuff there, <laughs> Dawn. Beware the burning girls. You know, it's like 30 years ago, the, these girls' nature wasn't treated the same way. It was 1993, 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Dawn, you were, you, you know, not to sort of thing, but you were older than these girls yeah, in 1993. Yeah. <laughs> Did you feel maligned? Did you no, feel like, I, you know... <laughs> I mean, there was some controversy when a, a girl wore an off-the-shoulder top to church. I do remember that in the 90s. So, <laughs> depending <laughs> on where you went, it did feel like it was meant to be the, you know, the 60s 70s. or something. Yeah, 70s, yeah. But I don't I don't know if the books are that old or whether it's the, that's just it's what, what they 30 were. years ago. <laughs> 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 that made me giggle, especially when we were saying when I was thinking about bodies and the yeah. flash forward to thirty years in the future. But yeah, I mean, I could see this, you know, if you're wanting something to watch for Halloween, something slightly. But again, it's not sort of schlocky enough, is it? And I no. wrote down the same thing as as Sophie just said that apart from uh, Jack and Flo, everyone else is is sort of your generic sort of plot devicey character. I mean, I thought it looked quite nice. They've obviously picked quite a nice village to film it all in. I think it was somewhere in Buckinghamshire. And Samantha Morton and Ruby Stokes have got a good chemistry and you sort of can believe their mother and daughter. But it was sort of folk horror. Uh, the Third Day from a couple of years ago with Jude yeah, Law. with Jude Law, and, yeah. I was, um, I was thinking about Naomi that. Naomi Harris. That had similar vibes, you know, going to this... Was it? Were they on an island or something? It was yes, something where yes. you could only get there, like... When the tide was, yeah. yes, yeah. And there was like em- Emily Watson and who was, I can't remember who, who played her husband in that, but they, you know, they were the sort of foreboding, you know, legend of this and that and what have you. 
if that I don't know where if that's streaming anywhere, but I would recommend that if you're wanting a slightly sort of creepy Halloween watch or just sort of episodes of Inside Number Nine would probably work better than watch watch, what hot, watch Hot Fuzz and then you'll get the the same kind yeah. of story <laughs> but with comedy. <laughs> Uh, basically we're saying don't watch this but if you i mean if you'd like to paramount plus uh the first episode is actually on their youtube channel as well in full so um if you want to check it out and make your own decision whether you want it to continue uh that's there finally we move to uh what we do in the shadows uh this is uh, our yearly check-in uh with the vampire mockumentary uh we return to staten island uh when we last left the characters uh, Guillermo had paid his friend Colin to turn him into a vampire. As we return, Guillermo is very coy with the documentary film crew about um, whether this procedure had worked or not. Uh, late, we learn that Guillermo isn't fully transformed. He hasn't got the vampiric qualities. He has very sort of small wings when he tries to transform into a bat. Uh, but there's sort of slight things that have slightly changed, like he now no longer needs his glasses. He's got 20-20 vision. Uh, but he also learns in this first episode that if uh, a familiar is turned into a vampire by anyone else who isn't their master, then they will be killed. And then the uh, master vampire, Nandor in this case, uh, will also have to kill themselves. Laszlo is a little bit more alert that something has changed with a gizmo, as he calls him and sort of endeavours to find out what it is. Colin Robinson now fully formed back into man Colin Robinson after uh, we had the very creepy baby Colin Robinson and infant Colin Robinson last series, um, is now working like a TGO Fridays or something like that and trying to feed on the energy of the customers there. Kristen Scholl has also become like a, a main character now as the guide, and she's trying to sort of ingratiate herself uh, within the the main vampire group. When I spoke to Dawn last week, she hadn't really watched much of what we do in the shadows. She was going to try and watch a bit just to sort of get up to pace. Where did you get Dawn in in like a rewatch? I've watched it all in a week. <laughs> what a champion! That's why I haven't watched much else on TV. I didn't want to give it away, so I didn't say that was why I haven't watched much else. <laughs> So what do you make to the series and, and where they take it in? Uh, how many of, of Series 5 did you watch? I just watched two episodes. I thought that was enough. <laughs> I, I'd watched the first series before and I'd never sort of connected with it. I enjoyed it much more watching it as a binge. I think it, it took me a while to get into it. I still wouldn't say it's like my favourite comedy, but I really enjoyed it a lot more. I didn't love Season 4 with all the, the nightclub stuff. Um, I just felt it took away. I, I really enjoyed the stuff in the house with with the group together. Um, the property brothers stuff. Yes. <laughs> flip, flip. Uh, yeah, flip your house. No, that wasn't what it was called. Go flip, flip yourself. So go it? flip yourself. That was it. Yeah, go flip yourself. I was. I thought the the first episode of season five felt much more back to to what it had been in sort of season three with the, when they were, they were doing all the vampire council stuff. And I, I was thinking. Guillermo's storyline is very like a will they won't they romance and I know there is that sort of connection with Nando and he's in love with um, Nandor you know there's that but it was the will he ever become a, a, a vampire story and I wondered if they would ever do it and now they've done it so they're in that situation where like other series where the couples got together now what do you do so he's now he's become a vampire you know They've got to explore that, and you don't want to lose the interest now he is actually a vampire. Uh, but I think they've done it really well, and it's created a whole level of new stories for um, not just him transforming, but as you see, the implication that he asked Derek to uh, turn him in, instead of his master. I mean, I laughed a lot in this first episode, uh, the doll Nadia being forced to, to, to sing her dad's. Uh, in in the restaurant was hilarious. It had more of a of the feel of the earlier seasons, which I, I liked. And this idea that how how on earth they're going to deal with him revealing that he is a, a vampire. And I really I don't know. I think I've kind of fallen in love with Laszlo a bit. He just he's like he's got such heart. 
compared to the others. I know one of my very good friends online, she is a huge fan of Nadia and, and you know, she feels that's her connection. But I, I just felt much more connected with Glasgow. You know, he was the one that made sure to look after baby Colin Robinson. Yeah. And, <laughs> well, he knew what and was the, going on with Colin as well, didn't he, in yes, the third yes. season? He really is is much more tuned into other well, he's people. He's well here, read. I think that's that's what uh, you get. Yes, because <laughs> yes. it's uh, not. It's because he was later in evolution, <laughs> in the evolution of humanity <laughs> before he became a vampire. And I, so I really like that he's aware that something's changed with Guillermo. And I love Laszlo's relationship with the next door neighbor, Sean. Um, that's one of my favourite things in the whole show. <laughs> this relationship with his best friend, Sean. And I think it's the second episode, there's, there's quite a bit of that. Um, so I just, yeah, I really loved it. I felt that this was back to form, in my opinion. I, I didn't feel season four was so much. I'm sort of in disagreement with your sort of analysis of the seasons. <laughs> I was more, I didn't like season three because I thought Guillermo, who's the audience proxy i thought he was sidelined more in mm. season three it was more you know nandor and nadia on one side laszlo and colin robinson on the other guillermo was was in the background whereas season four sort of picked up his thread up to the fact that he thought nandor would never turn him into a vampire and then obviously in the second episode of this season we learn what will happen if nandor then tries to turn him into a vampire now <laughs> yeah. that Derek has already, or oh, Colin, sorry, Colin has already turned him into. No, you're right, Derek. Derek, yeah, not Colin. <laughs> Colin's Colin Robinson. Jesus, Matt. Yeah, and and now our yearly check in with Sophie because we've sort of had like a oddly every year we we talk about this uh, together. I think it started when we did the Desert Island comedies, and I picked this as one, and then you sort of rewatched it, and then every year you sort of come on. So I've only watched the first one so far, and yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I laughed a lot. I like how we're five seasons in, and it doesn't really feel like they're running out of ideas because it feels like you can just do anything with these characters. Almost like the ghosts and ghosts, really. Like they're such unusual characters, you can put them in a situation where, you know, in this episode, they go to a mall for the first time. They've somehow never been to a mall before and barely know what it is. And I could just watch like a whole episode of Laszlo just walking around commenting on all the different shops in the mall. Like I think at one point, doesn't he say, Baby Village makes sense to keep them all in one place <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> and then Nandor's enjoying the, um, you know, the carousel. Like that was very cute. And he's amazed by like a lift at one point. He He's like, oh my God, it's rising. <laughs> like and just the fact that they're still so naive, you can just put them in these situations and it's still so funny. And yeah, the whole plot with Guillermo becoming a vampire feels like it's been a long time coming. And I like the fact that it hasn't been this sudden dramatic thing. It's like happening gradually and he has to figure out what he's going to do about it. Transforming in really quite sort of bland ways. Like he goes to the opticians for an eye test and it's like, oh, you, you don't need your glasses anymore. Like it's not, not this sort of dramatic moment where he's suddenly got all these powers. I'm, yeah, I'm really looking forward to see where they go with that, how it changes the dynamics in the group. Similar to you, Dawn, I think I, I enjoyed some of the nightclub stuff, but it felt a bit like Nadia was quite separate from the rest of them. Um, and I'm hoping that in this season, you know, like in the first episode, they're maybe going to be a bit more together. I also love that Colin Robinson's working in a restaurant. I feel like that's another thing where it's like there's so many things you can do with that character. He was working in an office before that we had this weird interlude where he was a child and now he's like working as a waiter, like the ideal situation, just doing all of the worst things a waiter can do to annoy the customers. I'm really glad that it's back and I really enjoyed the first episode. Yeah, and it's it's all there on Disney Plus and I, I would sort of echo your sentiments really. I think possibly having Kristen Scholl join the cast, I don't know how well that would work. I, I haven't enjoyed her as a recurring character and the second episode is where she shows up and, and sort of tries to pal up with Nadia there's another great scene where she finds out there's like a little I can't remember where she's from but like a little Italy version of of where <laughs> whatever Eastern European country she's originally from as you say the stuff with with Sean and his friends is always like um 
good, you know, they're arguing over wines and things like that. And this ongoing debate about how much Nandor relies on hypnotising people. But yeah, and I, I think the cast are so good, like bouncing off each other. I re- I watched this with a friend who hadn't seen it before last year and she loved the Nadia doll and actually the what's happened to the Nadia doll now and she's almost got her own separate subplot is absolutely, absolutely brilliant. I mean, this is a comedy that is just laugh out loud fun. All the characters are well realised, despite them being vampires on the most part. Um, it has already been renewed for a sixth season as well, which is brilliant and long may it continue if the cast want to keep doing it then I, I can't see any reason in them not continuing it so uh yeah that is all there now on uh disney plus and um that is us done for another week uh guys do you want to just run through where we can find you online um yeah people can find me on twitter at it's sophie davis i'm on twitter at dawn glenn too and um i'm on Threads, Blue Sky, and Instagram <laughs> as Ikeloshu, I K K L E O S U. Whatever happened to Mastodon? Do you remember when that was going to be? Yes, I was brief. Yeah, I, th- I think I signed up to that, but <laughs> similar with Threads, really, I've signed up to it but not done anything with it. Yeah, and as I said earlier, at Matt's TV Bites for me, at Luke Custard TV for Luke, and the website updates, and at Custard TV Pod uh, for the podcast. And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, it's the Custard TV, and email custardtvreviews at gmail.com. Not sure what will be coming next week. Um, either a, a regular podcast or possibly uh, our second retro podcast. You will have to wait and see. But until then, thank you so much for uh, listening and uh, goodbye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.